Good morning, Meadows. I'm Drew Barnes. I'm one of the elders here at Meadows. And it is a privilege to bring the Word of God to you this morning. Let us pray. Father, we gather today with expectation that you are speaking through your Holy Word. We pray by the power of your Spirit that your Word would reveal yourself to us so that we, as your disciples, may grow in our knowledge of love for and obedience to you, our God and King. Father, the words I say be true and pleasing to you. Allow your Spirit to use my words, which you have given me to encourage, give comfort, and hope. May I speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Amen. Some of you may know that I am a golf instructor, and part of my responsibilities is helping out with our junior camps. And so this week, how our junior camps are structured, it's from 12 to 4 each day, Monday through Thursday. And the first two hours are really skill-based training. They go from station to station. Um, And as one of the instructors, I'm at one of those stations and helping them out, teaching them how to hit certain shots and helping them with golf. Um, And typically we have about 14 to 16 kids, and we split them up into four different groups. We have high school students who are with the same four students each day throughout the whole week, leading them, making sure that they go to the bathroom, getting water for them, helping out, pretty much babysitting them. (laughs) And so this week, on Wednesday night, I get a text from one of the other instructors saying, hey, uh, we don't have enough high schoolers for Thursday. Can you step into that role? And at first, when I first started at Deerfield Golf Club, that's what my job was. I kind of just walked around with these students to make sure that they were getting their water and they need to go to the bathroom, making sure that they're behaving. And, and I graduated from that. I moved on, and I'm like, I don't want to go back to this role that was designed for high school students. I'm above that. I'm better than that. And it was in the midst of that where I was studying our passage today, Philippians chapter 2. And we're entering into a series of submission. And while this example from my week is a simple illustration of me having to let go of my honor and rights to step into a high school role so that these students can learn how to play the game of golf. Again, this is a simple illustration, but it does prompt the question, as disciples of Christ, do we count it joy and a privilege to submit to one another? Let us read Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Adapt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not Consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, 
taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he came as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. The big idea for today is as Christ voluntarily submitted himself to the Father, we as disciples must also submit ourselves to one another. Now let's give some context of where we're coming from. First, give some context here as a church. If you're joining us or you're fairly new to our church, we've been going through our shared member values. So several months ago, we started with affirmation. Are we affirming one another? Then we moved on to grace. Can we show grace to one another? Then we talked about humility. And last month we looked at trust. And this month we're looking at submission. And this is all pointing us to being unified in the body. Throughout all of Scripture we see that Christ prays that the body, His body, would be Unified, that would be one as he and the Father are one. And so we don't pursue unity just for unity's sake, but we pursue unity knowing that it will glorify God, and in doing so, it will show the world who we are. And so there is a purpose and a point while we desire unity, glorifies God, and allows us to live an example of who we are in Christ. But for to get to unity, this idea of submission, which is so contrary to what the world teaches, is crucial for us to understand. And here in Philippians chapter 2, we have the great example of Christ submitting to the Father. And so that's the context of where we're coming from as a church today. But before we enter into these verses, let's just give a little more context of what Paul has already taught here in Philippians. In Philippians 1.1, we see that it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, are writing to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. So he's classifying this He's already assuming that his readers are believers, that they are disciples of Christ. And so, likewise, I'm also assuming that most of us are disciples of Christ. And he reminds them in verse 27 of chapter 1, just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. They're not citizens of Philippi, but they're citizens of heaven. And in the same way, we are no longer citizens here in America or on this earth, but we are also citizens of heaven. And so if we are citizens of heaven, we must live our lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. So then that leads us into a question, what does that look like? How do we live in a worthy manner of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And this is where we're going to dive in today and spend the rest of our time looking at verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2. Verse 5 says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. 
This is an exhortation. This is a command from Paul before we get into the rest. Adopt the same attitude, or maybe some of your versions, adopt the same mindset as that of Jesus Christ. We can't do this on our own. This is only done by the Holy Spirit working in and through us. Because what we're about to read and what we're about to look at does not make any sense. From a worldly perspective, this does not make any sense. But as we allow the Spirit to work in us, this makes complete sense. And so you may have heard of the word sanctification. That we, as disciples of Christ, are being sanctified. We're becoming more like Christ, while on this side of eternity, we won't be perfect. But I hope and I pray that if you look at your life from a year ago, you can see that God has continued to change you and mold you into the likeness of Christ. I hope that if you examine your life a year ago till now, that you can see I've become more loving. I've become more gracious. I have more peace. I've given up some of these things that used to rule my life that are no longer a part of me. And I hope that we don't even have to go back a year, but even six months or a month or even last week. I hope as we are engaging in the Word and in community and in prayer that we can continually see God sanctify our lives. And part of sanctification in our lives is also sanctifying our minds. And so if we desire to adopt the same attitude or the same mindset, that of Christ Jesus, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to work on our minds. And so the things that we used to think, we no longer think, but we think as Christ thinks. And so I hope and I pray that this week that we would take this verse seriously and allow the Spirit to not just sanctify our lives, but also sanctify our minds and our attitudes so that we are aligned with Christ Jesus. So now this prompts the question of, well, what is the attitude of Christ Jesus? And this leads us into our first point, that Christ's divinity. We find this in verse 6 who, existing in the form of God. This word form will appear in just a little bit. But let's define what we mean in this context. What does it mean that Christ existed in the form of God? And let's jump to the Old Testament real quick. In Exodus 16.10, And there, in the cloud, the Lord's glory appeared. Exodus 16, or Exodus 24, 16. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. Exodus 33, 18. Then Moses said, Please show me your glory. Leviticus 9, 23. The glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Isaiah 6, 3. His glory fills the whole earth. Ezekiel 43.2 And I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east, and the earth showed with his glory. I could keep on going all these passages through the Old Testament talking about the glory of God. 
But if we jump to the New Testament, Paul picks up on this theme of glory. We see that all throughout the Old Testament, that the glory of God was revealed and shown and people marveled at His glory. If We see it filled the earth. It's awe-strucking. In Romans, Paul picks up on this theme. In Romans chapter 1, in verse 18, he says, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godliness and unrighteous of people who by their unrighteous suppress the truth, since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. He has shown His glory to all of us. For His invisible attributes, that is, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what He has made. And so all creation is without excuse, being evident that they can witness and see the glory of God. He continues in verse 21 of Romans chapter 1. For they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or show gratitude. Instead, this is what they did. Their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles." And so we, as His creation, decided we don't need His glory and we're going to give His glory to something else. Another created being that it's actually lower than us. And so what does this all have to do with the submission of Christ? We see that Christ being in the form of God means that Christ, pre-existent, He was with God in creation, was clothed in the glory of God. And so all that the Father is, Christ is also. All the attributes that the Father possesses, the Son also possesses. So the Son is full and truly divine. The Son isn't less than God. He is not inferior to the Father, but He is God. And this is important. This is essential to understanding the idea of submission. Because if we don't believe that Christ is truly God, why should we adopt the same attitude or mindset? If He is not truly God and He's just mere human, or He's less than God... All of this is just foolishness. We should just close up our Bibles and head home. But if we believe that Jesus Christ is fully God, this has huge implications upon our lives, as we'll see in just a moment. And I'm thankful for church history that they have summed up pretty well, this idea that Jesus Christ is fully God, the Nicene Creed was formed in A.D. 325 and then revised in A.D. 381. And it says this, And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, 
begotten of the Father, before all worlds preexistent. He was there at creation. He's God of God. He's light of light. Very God of very God. Begotten, not made. Being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. Continues. This idea that Christ is divine is essential for us as we look at the submission of Christ and how we ought to submit to one another. While we could spend a whole lot more time on Christ's divinity, we need to move on. Let's look at the second half of verse 6. This next line, who existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, or maybe some of your versions, something to be grasped. And this leads us into our second point, that Christ's humility. So we have Christ's divinity, Christ's humility. Again, he did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, emphasizing the same point that Christ is divine. He is equal to the Father in all of His glory, His honor, His rights. And yet, He did not consider His equality with God as something to be exploited, something to be grasped. So what does this mean? If anyone has any rights, it's Jesus Christ, the Son who was pre-incarnate, who was in the glory of God, who had all honor, all glory, all the rights that we could ever think of, and yet, he didn't out of selfish ambition or self-interest continue holding or grasping onto those things or exploiting those things for his own self-interest, but he gave himself up for the sake of his church. And in just a little bit, we'll explore this idea just a tad bit more. But Christ gave up his rights, gave up his honor, his wealth, his glory for us. Now let's just pause there a little bit. If we go back to Genesis and we look at Adam and we just compare Adam with Christ real briefly, we see Adam was made in the image of God. Christ was the very essence of God. Adam wanted to be like God. Christ took on the likeness of man. Adam wanted to exalt himself. Christ emptied himself. Adam was discontent with being God's servant. Christ assumed the form of a slave. Adam arrogantly rejected God's word in sinful disobedience. Christ humbly submitted to God's word in perfect obedience. What Adam could not do, Christ did. By giving up his glory, his honor, his riches for the sake of his church. Just imagine with me real quick. What would Meadows, what would this congregation 
look like if we started adopting this mindset? For many of us, myself included, we come in with expectations, with rights. Well, I've been here for X amount of years. I deserve these rights or privileges. I've, I am this social status. I deserve these rights and privileges and honors. I'm a part of this ministry, so I deserve these rights and honors and privileges. What would it look like if we willingly and voluntarily gave those up and submitted ourselves to this body so that we, it's not self-interest, but giving ourselves to further the body of Christ. I would imagine that this church would look just a little different. I would imagine that the community of Rolling Meadows would view this congregation just a little different. And trust me, this cannot be done on our own. This is impossible, what I'm talking about, to be done on our own, but it is only done through the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to change our hearts and our minds to adopt the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Let's move on to our third point, Christ's humanity. Verse 7, instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. People struggle a little bit with what it means that Christ emptied himself in verse 7. It does not mean that Christ gave up his divinity, because that would defeat the whole purpose of everything that we just set up prior to that. For we must understand that Christ is fully divine and he's also fully human. Or in other words, he is truly divine and truly human. We'll unpack the significance of that in just a little bit. But I want to use this illustration. This isn't something I came up with. This is something I read from a missionary and I believe that it is true. And so, and I think it communicates what Christ has done. So imagine a tribe in Africa. And in this tribe, in this village, the strongest man is the chief. And the chief wears a nice big headdress with royal robes. People know that he is the chief. But one day, a man who was getting water fell into a well. And then as he fell... He broke his leg, and he was laying there and could not get himself out of the well. So other men came around, and they couldn't help him. Uh, Someone would have to actually climb down in the well, carry the man on his back, and bring him back up for safety. So while no other man could have done this, they called and summoned the chief, and who's the strongest man in the tribe. The chief laid aside his headdress and his robes and carefully went down into the well. And he picked up that man with the broken leg, put him on his back, and carried him up from the well. 
And this is what Jesus did for us. Christ laid aside His glory, His riches, His honor to come and rescue you and me. When He did, He didn't set aside His divinity just like this chief who laid aside his headdress and robes doesn't mean that he stopped being chief, but he was willing to come and put aside his honor and glory to save this man. And so what does this mean then when Paul writes that he emptied himself again? This does not mean that Christ laid aside his divinity. It does not mean that The Son, Jesus Christ, is less than or inferior to the Father, but it does mean this, that He gave up His heavenly glory. He gave up having a face-to-face relationship with His Father. He gave up independent authority. He fully submitted to the Father. We see in Mark 14, 36, Jesus prays, Not my will, but yours. And later on in John six thirty eight, For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Christ fully submitted to the Father. He gave up His eternal riches. He became poor and owned very little here on earth. For Matthew eight twenty, Jesus says, Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay His head. He also gave up a favorable relationship with the Father. He took on the Father's wrath for our sin. This is what he emptied himself of. And as he emptied himself of these things, we see that he assumed the form of a servant. It's the same word used previously in verse 6, that he was in the form of God. This is in stark contrast now. Now he's in a form of a servant. In Greco-Roman rule, the slave, a servant, had no rights. And really this better translation as he took a form of a slave. He had no rights. He was fully submissive to the Father. In Mark 10.45, I came to serve, not to be served. And one of the great examples of Christ living this out is in John chapter 13. Starting in verse 3, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So, he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet to dry them with a towel around him. This washing of feet is a familiar verse for many of us, but it's an act of a servant, an act of a slave. The lowest of low had that responsibility. All the other disciples didn't even think of washing one another's feet. And here's Jesus, the Son, full deity, coming to wash feet. 
and imagine with me what meadows would look like if we adopted this mindset, if we adopted this attitude instead of seeking the positions that would give us the most glory and honor, we sought the position to serve. Instead of seeking the highest position, we sought the lowest position. Again, this is so contrary to what the world teaches. The world teaches you we need to be climbing up the ladder to serve ourselves, to please ourselves, while Christ came down the ladder to the lowest position to serve us. And it is only done in the power of the Spirit that this makes any sense. Continues. Taking, assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. That Christ became man. He wasn't an alien that just kind of appeared out of nowhere. He wasn't some sort of ghost or somewhat in the image that just kind of appeared to be a man. No, he was fully man. Flesh and bone. Blood running through his veins. He walked, he talked, he ate, he slept. And this is important for us to understand because God or Christ being fully divine and also fully human is important for our understanding and submission and also our relationship with God the Father because Christ being fully man and fully God is central because for Christ being fully God, he is able to reveal the Father to us as his creation. In John 14, 9, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. And also by being fully God, he's able to perfectly submit himself in obedience to the Father. As we observed, Adam could not do this. None of us could ever do this perfectly, but yet Christ, being fully God in the power of the Holy Spirit, was able to fully submit himself perfectly to the Father's will. 1 John 3, 5 says, In him there is no sin. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, He made him who knew no sin. Hebrews 4, 15, One has been tempted in every way, but is without sin. I could keep going on verses of verses of him and his perfection here on earth. But just as Christ being fully divine reveals the Father to us, He also is our advocate before the Father on our behalf. 1 John 2, 1. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He continues. He's also our propitiation, our atoning sacrifice, who took upon our sin on Himself. For John continues in 1 John 2, said, He himself is our atoning sacrifice for our sin. He's able to do this because he is both fully divine and full humanity. And in doing so, he fully submitted himself to the Father. Finally, our fourth and final point. He humbled himself by becoming obedient 
to the point of death, even to death on the cross. So he didn't just come and take the lowest position of a slave, but he went even lower. He died a criminal's death. Jesus Christ, the Son, who was full and clothed in all of glory, all of riches, all of wealth, came as a servant and died a criminal's death, gave up everything for his church. So that we can confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts and we can be saved. You see, the submission of the Son to the Father, seen in the Incarnation, does not differentiate the Father and the Son. It does just the opposite. It actually reveals that the Father and the Son is willing to stoop down to save us. And then the Incarnation shows that the submission is a godly act. So we come back to verse 5. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. What is that attitude? As Christ, in all of His glory, honor, His wealth, His riches, His rights, gave Himself, emptied Himself by taking a form of a slave, becoming obedient to death, so that we, as His church, can benefit. So that we, as His church, can come into relationship with the Father. So that we, as His church, can have hope and faith that we will be with Him forever and ever in eternity. And this is the example that Christ has laid before us as His church. So if you're here today... Maybe this is your first time, or maybe you've been around for a little bit. And you've never heard this, or this is interesting to you, or you want to know more. Come talk with me, with one of the elders, with Pastor Andrew B., with someone that you came with. We'd love to engage with you more of who this Christ is, who is willingly gave himself in all of his glory and honor to come as a slave to serve us. But if you are in Christ Jesus and you are his disciples, may we eagerly seek to submit to one another just as Christ has submitted himself to the Father. Know that this cannot be done on our own will, our own desires, because this is so contrary to what the world says. But we must eagerly seek the Spirit and allow the Spirit to work in and through us. Let's end by going all the way back up to Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in the Spirit, intent on one purpose. 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. If we desire to be unified as the body, we must adopt the same attitude that is of Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness toward us. Jesus, thank you for willingly submitting yourself to the Father for our sake. Father, by your Spirit, may we adopt the same mindset that is of Christ Jesus. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.